0: to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Well, hi there, everybody. Welcome back. I've got a lot to discuss here, lots of different topics, lots of different uh, avenues to explore, a lot of positive stuff as well, a little bit of censorship that's taking place regarding this particular show, and um, some major school districts are striking. And so I want to get into all of that. But first, let me start with the censorship stuff. Uh, Let's see. Quick little history lesson. Again, back on January 20th, that fake inauguration in 2021, that was the first time that my podcast was completely deleted. It was removed off of the Anchor platform, which was the host site. And then, of course, Anchor pushes it out to the Spotify's and, you know, the iHeartRadios and MyTuner and uh Apple Podcasts and so on and so forth. So once that happened on that particular day, which was not an accident, you know, I broke their terms of service, they said, and then just like that, without any explanation, um, they just deleted it and that was it. So once that happened, I found Podbean to be sort of the outlet for this particular show, and that's P-O-D-B-E-A-N, Podbean. I recommend that uh, you listen to this on Podbean. You can download the app on any device you want, and because Podbean is the outlet that pushes it out, it's first on Podbean and i always set the episode to go out to individuals at 6 a.m. eastern standard time monday, wednesday and friday what's been brought to my attention from some listeners is that this show is being either not uploaded or banned without my knowledge or or whatever it is but it's not showing up on time on all of the other platforms like Apple Podcasts and Spotify and iHeartRadio and whatever else. It's just not showing up. It's getting worse, as it turns out. Uh, and, And with time, as the days are passing, the episode that is supposed to air again on a Monday isn't even airing on a Tuesday. So I just want to let you know that These episodes are set to air at the appropriate time, but these platforms are not pushing it out. There's just a little too much truth in these episodes, and they don't like that. Podbean, thus far, doesn't seem to have a problem with it, and that's good. Because we're supposed to live, of course, in a free society, and we're finding out that we do not. My episode number 356, which is titled News Roundup Monkeypox Jab Rollouts, and the school response, a discussion with Kim Carter, which is the second discussion that I've had with Kim Carter, who again is a registered nurse and now is a partner with her sister at flipsidepsych.com, Uh has not shown up yet, again, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or iHeartRadio, but it is on Podbean. So again, my recommendation is you download the Podbean app. You don't have to log in or do anything like that. At the very bottom of the app when you, when you download it, which is free, it'll basically tell you that you can skip through all the different options. Again, you don't have to log in with a username or a password or anything like that. You can use it just as a basic, a basic platform, a basic search. And then you just search American Education FM, and then bam, it pops right up. So that's what I would recommend going forward when it comes to listening to this show. Again, if you listen to it at a particular time on a particular day and you're relying on one of the other apps to listen to it, I would simply say that uh, they're cracking down, it seems, and uh, they're not going to push it out when I tell them to. And so they're slow rolling it one way or another, and I don't like that. But there's not a lot I can do about it other than just tell you to go to the actual app itself that pushes it out first on time, during the time and on the time that that I've dictated be the time that it's released. So there you go. Podbean. P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Please download that app if you haven't already, and there you go. I also of course push this out on Rumble and I push it out on BitChute. All of these podcast episodes so they also exist there. Uh yeah. Beyond that, there you go. Okay. Now, a uh, little bit of story time here. Something interesting occurred over the weekend which is rather unpleasant, but uh, it happened nonetheless. And uh this was the second time that i believe i had diverticulitis which stinks it's an inflammation of the large intestine your your abdomen aches and not in like a you know i have an upset stomach kind of way but it's a it's a really deep throb not very not very good uh the first time i had it was in january of 2021 uh and it ended up I ended up going to the hospital after a couple of days of being in bed because I couldn't even move. Uh, It gives you a massive fever almost instantly. It just rushes on you uh, immediately. Of course, you get cold and then the shakes start to occur and then you start to sweat and whatever else. So the first time, of course, that I went, I ended up being given injected. uh, Let's see, what was it? It was an injected antibiotic. It felt really cold as it was going in. And then they give you a bunch of pills. And then thousands of dollars later, uh, given all the bills that are associated with it, and two weeks after that, it, it finally goes away and you're pretty much back to normal. So this particular time was interesting because what set it off was food poisoning. So I ate a flatbread pizza. That was a Kroger brand flatbread pizza. It was called like I, I want to say like their margarita flatbread or something like that. It's in a it's in a cardboard box, but it's wrapped in in cellophane. And so you can see most of the pizza on the outside. And it's it's cold when you buy it, but it's not frozen. So perhaps a little suspect right out of the gate. But either way, I cooked it and I ate it, and uh it tasted fine. And then two hours later, I was cold, and then I thought, uh oh, this is odd, because it's 80 some odd degrees outside, and I'm starting to get cold. This is weird. And then I was like, damn it. Okay. Food poisoning, here we come. It's the pizza. So found myself in bed, lying in bed for approximately 24 hours. Shivers, shakes, the whole thing, fever, you name it. And as I'm lying there. Borderline hallucinating, I'm saying to myself, let's try some stuff. You've got ivermectin, which is an anti inflammatory, and you know that. You have hydroxychloroquine, which does a very similar thing. You have bromelain, which is a digestive anti inflammatory supplement, which is suggested that it be taken three to four times a day. And, uh, You've got spring water at your disposal, along with, of course, black seed oil, which I take on a semi-regular basis, and vitamins. So why not just toss all of that down my mouth and see what happens? Because the last thing I want to do is go to the hospital again. Didn't want to do that. I'm one of those guys. I just <laughs> I just don't like I don't like medical doctors. I don't like hospitals. I don't like the people that work in them. I don't like it. So that's what I did. I decided to take all of that and I kid you not within 24 hours after taking it, I was moving around just fine. Whereas previously, back in January of 2021, I mean I couldn't move for probably like 3 days. And I think it was the 4th day that I finally had the energy to actually get in my car and drive to the hospital. Um I was moving again Without pain, within 24 hours. Still a little sore, which comes with the territory. But here I am now, a few days removed. Uh, I'm still taking ivermectin and all the stuff I've just mentioned, and again, I'm basically back to normal. So this is this wasn't a two-week episode, and uh, yeah. So basically, what I would say is success. It seemed to work. And again, I'm not surprised that it worked, because I think that's exactly what these drugs and supplements are are designed to do. And again, I acquired most of these without a prescription uh, online, and there you have it. What I ended up doing shortly after is, as I'm still lying in bed, because it still felt good to just lie down and not move around, is... uh, I got on greatawakening.win, and sure enough, a few posts down, an individual is mentioning ivermectin. And they tell this story about ivermectin and poison ivy. And they were saying that their wife, I assumed it was their wife, because I think later on it, it specifically said their wife, but that their wife had got poison ivy. And instead of going to the hospital, took the ivermectin horse paste that even I possess and, you know, you can buy on Amazon and tractor supply and the whole thing. And they took some of that and they simply rubbed it on like a basic cream on the poison ivy rashes that existed. And they said within 24 hours, well, they said almost immediately the itching was gone. And then they said within 24 hours, uh, the marks on their skin immediately started to dry up. And then that was it. The poison ivy went away, and it didn't last weeks like it typically does, and that was that. Then other people started to respond to that post, and they started saying things like they've been taking ivermectin to counteract their high blood pressure medicine, basically as an alternative. Because one of the things apparently that ivermectin does, it's a hypotension drug. So it alleviates hypertension, and what these individuals were describing was is that normally they would be taking all these pharmaceutical drugs for hypertension and high blood pressure, but they, were, they, they started to take ivermectin, and they were reducing the amount of drugs that they were taking for hypertension. And then ultimately, some of these individuals that were commenting were saying, I no longer take drugs for hypertension, and I don't even take ivermectin anymore to counteract it. Everything is just basically the way that it should be, and I feel completely normal, and my pulse and heart rate are exactly where they should be at a healthy level, and that's just the way that it is. So I think all of this is good news. I think that it's evident that A lot of these drugs, in particular ivermectin, and as I said, bromelain for digestive health really seems to work for me. Uh, They just have multiple purposes, and I think that's awesome. And I think that, again, this has been right in front of our face for a very long time, and the more that we communicate on these levels and not relying, of course, on doctor's offices and hospitals and whatever else to provide us answers, that we can find these on our own. With that said, I also came across this awesome website, which was sent to me on Gab because I posted my brief food poisoning story on Gab, and somebody sent me uh, a link. And thank you, by the way, for sending it if you listen to the show. But the website is earthclinic.com. And it's an awesome website, and it is all natural remedy stuff for basically anything that ails you. And it has all of these conditions, everything from A to Z on the left side of the page. And then you click on it, you click on the little box, and then it takes you to a giant alphabetical order list of all of these conditions. And, uh, and then you scroll down and you can read basically the history of, of the condition first and, and what it means and what its symptoms are. And then it gets into what are some of the more popular remedies i guess and then a lot of people again start to post comments and they'll even get real deep in the comments and they'll say things like you know what this is this particular remedy is in fact way better but be careful with this because what ends up happening might be this and then i had to go to the doctor for this and then it turned out that you know this was a better remedy in xyz so there are more specifics within the comments section of that particular website, which I highly recommend. So again, that particular website is earthclinic.com and very helpful. I will be relying on that in the, in the future, almost every single time, regardless of, of what's going on. But uh, yeah, that's what I can tell you. When it comes to food poisoning, when it comes to diverticulitis, I recommend ivermectin. I recommend bromelain, black seed oil, hydroxychloroquine if you've got it, and uh, basic vitamins and things of that nature. So there you go. Okay. Oh, one more thing on the censoring of my podcast and the show, which is funny. Uh, in almost every single episode, Spotify will put this COVID banner sort of a fact-checking COVID banner on top of each episode. You'll notice it when you go to this particular show on Spotify. It just has this blue banner across and it says COVID-19 get the truth or whatever the hell it says. And then of course you click on it and where does it take you straight to the CDC's website. They're doing that with every single one of my episodes now. So, yeah. This shouldn't this shouldn't necessarily shock anybody. You know, this is what the enemy does. Uh, you tell too much of the truth; they don't like that. And I'm not gonna stop. I'm not gonna stop saying what needs to be said. And if they kick me off of their platform, so be it. I'll find another, you know, another platform. But uh, there you go. Just wanted to, just wanted to make that known. Okay. Into education things here first. There's been a lot going on, and there are a lot of headlines which are interesting. And some of these, actually most of these, I'm just going to read the headline, but I'm not going to dive in deep until I get to this school striking stuff, because this is interesting. Um, I will say I, I will mention a couple of things here right off the bat, though, that aren't, uh, that aren't really headline related, but observations I've made. So let me mention this first. Sorry I'm bouncing around a little bit. You've heard me, of course, talk about the eyeball test regarding universities and schools and driving around and, and seeing whether or not the enrollment seems to be higher or lower based on previous years. And as you know, I live very in the same town as Miami University. So I'm very close to this university campus and it gives me the opportunity to again do the eyeball test and, and gauge the numbers of students that are here. So I drove around on the first day of class, which was Monday. And I just did a loop. And there's two roads that you can take to basically do a loop to get a good idea as to how many students are around. And then, of course, you can see some of the properties and you can see which houses are inhabited and which ones are not. Um, I'll say this. I saw more students than I thought I would see, but there's still not the number of students that there used to be. So I'll just sort of make that blanket sentence conclusion. It's not that there are no students here. There certainly are, but there are not nearly as many as there used to be. And I was driving around at a time where there was a lot of movement around the campus based on, again, timing of classes and whatever else. It was around 2.20 in the afternoon. So there's that observation. The next observation is this one. When is it that girls stopped wearing pants when it came to going to college classes? When did that start to be a thing? Cuz honest to God, I'm I'm driving around and they're not wearing pants. I mean, yes, they have pants on, but They are remarkably high. The ass, I mean, their asses are hanging out. And I'm saying to myself again, like, I mean, I know the answer. Okay. This is rhetorical, but this is all, of course, YouTube driven and Instagram driven and society driven. And I'm certain of all of that. TikTok driven. You know, they dress this particular way and then they feel like, well, this is how you have to dress. It blows me away. Um, because I don't take people like that seriously. And there's a meme that always comes to mind, and you know the meme I'm talking about if you've seen it. But it's two separate pictures of two separate groups of girls. On the left side of the meme is a picture of what are seemingly college-age girls, and they're wearing skin-tight dresses where the it's a it's a one-piece dress of course but the skirt part of it is just way above the leg or way above the knee rather and they basically just look like hookers and below that picture it says this is what girls think men want and then on the right side of the meme is a picture of more conservative classier-looking women sitting on a bench wearing sort of traditional European-style dress with a skirt that's way below the knee. And then below that picture, it says, this is what men really want. I can't help but think of that meme and how much I would love to just blow that meme up and then make a giant billboard of it somewhere on Miami University's campus and just hang it there, or a you know a giant uh, a giant poster or a a banner of some kind hung between trees and just show people like this is this is what you look like. You think people are attracted to hookers. Which is how you're dressing, and or like you just rolled out of bed, and then over here, this is what we're really interested in. I mean, this is what real men are interested in over here. I mean, to 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 gauge the and you know to have some kind of a hidden camera on them as they walk up and look at it and listen to their responses and all of that. Talk about a social experiment. See that would be interesting to gauge. To gauge their responses, so I'm—I I, was—I was making those visual and mental observations as as I just made one quick loop around the campus. The other one, of course, which is far more depressing, just has to do with the number of jabbed people that are walking around. Because ultimately, you're looking at these people, and you're saying to yourself, "It's a requirement to come to this university." and be a jabbed person i mean being jabbed is the requirement you have to have at least 2 to be to be here now i'm sure that there are religious exemptions and medical exemptions that have been filled out but even that brings into question the sanity of the parents who are still sending their children to these colleges and universities where being jabbed is the requirement knowing full well that if they fill out the religious exemptions and the medical exemptions so that their child is not jabbed, that their child might still be rooming or in the same classrooms with jabbed-filled people, which begs the question, do they not know about shedding? Do they actually think that their child is still going to be safe around these jabbed people? And it just, I mean, that was the depressing part. And I kept driving around saying to myself, these people have, these students here have no idea what's coming. I mean, it's starting to get a little cooler outside, certainly in the evening hours. The highs where I live are still in the uh, low 80s. But it's going to get colder and the seasons are going to change and that's, nothing's going to change that from happening. Um, I just don't, I I don't think these people have any idea. They're completely oblivious, which reminds me of this too. You may recall that there was a Miami University professor who was commenting on an article that was written by a a local high school student where I live who wrote a hit piece about me over a year ago based on my school board, my school board speech. And uh, I reached out to that professor and I said, hey, look, I, I hear that uh, you think that people like me aren't willing to debate or have a dialogue and that uh, a dialogue is what we're afraid of in XYZ. And so, yeah, as you may remember, I emailed that professor and I invited myself to his class, any of his classes, any time, any day. And uh, he never got back to me, long story short. He he just never got back to me. I'm thinking on emailing him one more time and saying, hi there. Uh, You may recall who I am. You decided to make comments about me and people like me who know the things that we know that you apparently disagree with. And you seem to think that what we know is a psychological disorder of some kind. And uh, you haven't taken me up on my offer to, <laughs> to speak in your class yet. So I would like to invite myself back to your class one more time in, the, in an effort that you would like to maybe have a debate or a dialogue, or at the very least allow your students to ask me questions about comments I made in that, uh, in that school board meeting and and see what y'all think. So, I'm thinking I'm going to email him again, assuming he's still alive, of course, because we have to assume he's at least double-jabbed. But, uh, yeah. So, anyway, I'll give that a try. I'm not holding my breath, of course, on a response, but we'll see what happens. Okay, back to the headlines here. Fauci's leaving in December. That's good news. Uh there's an audio clip that I placed on Gab that I also put on my war video and I'll summarize it very quickly. You know what? I won't summarize it. I'll just play it. Here's Fauci's response to polio. And if you're unfamiliar with polio, polio is a made-up name of a condition that's brought about by poisoning through either DDT exposure from back in the day or vaccines. That's where polio came from. And so, apparently, a couple of people are experiencing paralysis that they're now calling polio. Now, a lot of people have been experiencing paralysis from the COVID jabs, but they haven't called it polio. So, apparently, now, they've decided to bring back the name polio. And, uh, yeah, so here's Fauci on his response to a couple of people receiving polio. What caused the polio, and he actually tells the truth, but his response to what he believes is the cure for all of this is beyond absurd, and it proves that he's a psychopath. So give this a listen.
1: How could polio be reoccurring in
2: our country in 2022? How concerned Well, Well, what we need to understand is that The polio that we saw in this individual in Rockland County who had paralytic polio is a vaccine related polio. And let me explain what I mean is that the original Sabin vaccine, which is a live attenuated vaccine, has in it multiple different types of the polio. One is a type two, which is a virus that When you vaccinate someone with a live attenuated vaccine, it can be excreted in the feces and get out into the environment, and it could revert to a more pathogenic form. So what happened with this individual is that they likely got infected from someone who had a vaccine-related polio. Now, the vaccines that we have been giving in this country over the last several years has been not the live attenuated, but the killed or sulk vaccine, which has no chance of getting transmitted as a vaccine-related polio. The solution to the problem, Andrea, is to get everyone who is not up to date on vaccinations, particularly children, to get them vaccinated because the protection against polio of the sulk vaccine is about 99%. So you ask me if I'm worried about it. I'm only worried about it to the extent that people are not vaccinating their children. There are some areas, particularly in Rockland County, where only about 60% of the children have been vaccinated. And in some areas in that county, as low as 37% of the children have been vaccinated. So if you want to put a dead stop to polio in this country then just get everybody vaccinated who needs to be vaccinated, and it would be the end of it.
0: See, that took quite a left turn, did it not? I mean, it took a sharp turn there. He's heading down a road, making some sense. Of course, then he says viruses, which aren't real, and then he's deflecting a little bit, and then he goes, oh, by the way, and then he just yanks the wheel and goes... Everybody needs to get as many shots as humanly possible, in particular the children. He's a crazy person. That's all. He's just a crazy person. The unvaccinated don't get ill. It's only people poisoning themselves that are getting ill. This is a constant deflection from someone who knows that they're wrong, or either doesn't want to admit that they're wrong. And the public pushback and the public knowledge is greater than basically anything that he can say. You know, this is one of the largest criticisms, if not the largest, that has existed with Donald Trump this entire time. And I fully understand it. And you've heard me explain this angle before, But I'm going to explain it one more time. I I firmly believe, again, that the lesson that we've been taught as a society regarding all of these shots and listening to politicians and listening to medical doctors and the pharmaceutical industry and television and all of it is that Donald Trump had to throw himself under a bus. Regarding these shots, in order for people to understand that you're not supposed to trust anybody when any politician, celebrity, media person, whoever it is, tells you to put something in your body. That was the point. And even he had to participate in that. Even he had to be a person who was on the record as saying, I've taken this. I recommend you take it. But then, of course, he would always say, but then again, it's your choice. You can do whatever you'd like. And then ultimately, he stopped talking about it. And he still doesn't talk about it now. He hasn't talked about it in quite some time. Because he was was starting to get booed. Because again, that's what happens when the public knows more than a politician does and someone who holds an elected office because that bigger picture is the point. The point is, is that we're not supposed to be doing what elected officials tell us to do. When we start doing what politicians tell us to do, we're doomed. We're doomed. And unfortunately, what we're also seeing is a great deal of people blame Donald Trump or blame an exterior party. An exterior group or individual for some ill health effect that came their way. Because, as we know, in the state of denial, it's easier to blame an external party that you've never met, that you don't know, that you don't know the motives of, as opposed to blaming yourself and your own lack of knowledge. See, this is the evolution shift that has to take place. We've got to get back to that. There was a time in the human race when we didn't listen to politicians and do what they said as a long time ago but we have to get back there because we just can't keep doing what the machine tells us to do no matter who that person is and no matter how much we may think we support them again I don't support any politician none zero I don't listen to what they say I just gauge their patterns, their behaviors, the things that they do, the things they don't do, and and that's all I do. I just watch it from a different dimension. I'm not up here going, "Yeah, Marjorie Taylor Greene for Speaker of the House, hooray!" I'm not one of these goons that's saying that, because what's that going to fix? Number one, that's not going to happen. Sorry to burst some people's bubbles on that. That won't happen. But even if it did what would actually change? Nothing. The machine is too big and the machine has to remain in place and there's too many people that need that machine to remain in place. The only way that you get rid of any kind of a corrupt politician, in my opinion, is you have to eliminate the blackmailers by taking the blackmail away as a leverage point. That's that's what you have to do. But again, all these politicians, for the most part, are bought and sold. But when it comes to Donald Trump and the vaccine message that initially got pushed out there, I, I, I firmly believe that, again, the moment that we saw Anthony Fauci's face, it was on purpose. And I remember saying this all throughout the spring and summer of 2020. I remember saying it constantly to family members. I would say, He's bringing these people to the forefront to show us who who they are so that we can do research on these people and find out how evil these people are and how evil they've been their entire lives and their entire careers, even diving into their parents' backgrounds. As you've heard me say, and as you've probably heard Amazing Polly say regarding the Burks family and the Scarf Queen, Mr. and Mrs. Scarf Queen and her parents and so on and so forth. I mean, their family is nuts. Same thing with Fauci. Same thing. So he's apparently resigning in December or walking away in December. He's announced his resignation now. A lot of people are speculating that this is going to give him time to uh, lawyer up and come up with some kind of a legal defense. And then, of course, there's a lot of people out there going, We can't wait to take back the House in 2022 because we're going to you know, have a Republican-led house and we're going to investigate Fauci and send him to jail. Ladies and gentlemen, there's not a judge in this United States that's going to convict Anthony Fauci. It's going to have to be done by the military. And they've got all the stuff on Anthony Fauci anyway. We've got that boy's emails. I've read some of his emails on this show. You got all the Pfizer documents. I've read some of those on the show too. The man's a psychopath. Pleading ignorance can't be a defense. It's worked well for the Clintons thus far, but, you know, time is going to tell on this. So, I'm not about hopium necessarily. I'm just a I'm a I'm a I'm a realist is what I'm trying to say. I want I want to see justice actually occur, but I'm not going to hold my breath. But I'd still like to see it. And uh, yeah, some people are even suggesting, (laughs) which I really liked, this was hilarious, they were even suggesting on my gab that uh, hanging Anthony Fauci would would be too quick under under our current laws for treason, sedition, and uh, crimes against humanity. Why don't we just stick his head in one of those fly bags that he was putting beagle heads in to have sand flies eat the faces off of the beagles? Why don't we just do that to Anthony Fauci? And I thought, yeah, sure, I agree with that. Let's go for it. But, you know, that won't happen either, but it's, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. The man has killed countless people. He's, he's probably killed more with the stroke of a pen than, uh, than just about anybody in human history, if you think about it. Because you're talking about worldwide deaths under his pen. And the pen is mightier than the sword in that regard. So, there you go. Okay. Now, other headlines. Let's see. Back to education stuff here. Here's one. Again, I'm just going to read these headlines here. This is from NBC. Florida Christian School says it will refer to students only by biological gender. Asks gays and transgender students to leave. Grace Christian School in Valrico told parents in an email that they have to agree to all policies and procedures before their child can start school. I love it. The next one. This comes from FloridaVoiceNews.com. Education Secretary Manny Diaz Jr. urges teachers wanting to teach sexual ideology to leave the state. I love it. It just keeps getting better. Uh, Let's see. Here's another one. This comes from wjla.com. Fairfax County, Virginia, middle school employed counselor convicted in sex crime with minor. Shocking, isn't it? Said no one ever. Here's another one. This comes from Fox 2 News out of Missouri again. Missouri student test scores still lag behind pre-pandemic levels. Shouldn't shock anybody. Again, this is, you know, it's, it's par for the course here. They did away with many standardized test scores and standardized tests, rather, back in 2020, if you recall. And I think they even extended that through 2021. But the excuses that, they're, that even these school districts are using, they're saying, well, you know, we had the online education and uh, our facilities are not up to par and that's why these test scores are bad. They never, ever want to blame themselves. They never want to blame poor instruction. They never want to blame inadequate curriculum, false curriculum just flat-out false curriculum, fictitious curriculum, teaching them things that aren't even real. Uh, You've heard me beat this dead horse a million times. If they just taught the truth, regardless of how horrific the truth would be and shocking the truth would be, it would be so much easier to remember. But much like the medical industry, they they have to get very good at memorizing lies. It's no different in the k K-12 school system with any subject matter, in particular taking standardized tests. It's all based on fiction, so it's just a measure of who memorizes fiction better than someone else. It's ridiculous. Okay. So there's that. Here's the real story. Here's the real crux of uh, of this episode from an education K twelve standpoint that I wanted to hit on. And this is going to be a trend. And you've heard me mention this briefly, uh, very recently in the past. And I may have even said it in the last Substack article. But I'm going to bring it up here now because this just happened in the largest school district in the state of Ohio. And believe me. This will become a trend, but not for the reasons that they will tell you. See, the enemy is very good, and by enemy I mean the K-12 apparatus and the unions and the, the union representatives and the teachers that all align with these unions. They'll tell you that they are striking for a variety of reasons, and it's the old SAW explanations. They'll tell you that they are striking because they can't reach a bargaining agreement with the school district over things like smaller class size and school safety and better facilities and cleaner, uh, cleaner buildings and new buildings and new technology and higher pay and whatever else. They'll never mention higher pay publicly. They typically stay away from that one but what they do is is they'll always take students although they call them kids and you've heard me of course mention that and rail on that endless times that these very individuals who work in these systems wearing their masks with their picket signs and looking like complete brainwashed goofballs but they use the word kids because that's how government thinks about your children government believes that your children are theirs, that they are their kids. They won't say students, by and large. They'll consistently say kids. We're in this for the kids. It's just about the kids. It's disgusting. And they take these students and they throw them under the bus. They use the students within these school districts as their stepping stone in an effort to get what they want. They always say, well, it's for the students or it's for the kids. It's repetitive and it's dumb. And they do it again year after year, decade after decade. When really all they're interested in is more money. Because they can't possibly say in this day and age that it's because of there being too many students in a classroom setting. That will be their excuse. Well, there's too many students in the classroom and we want smaller classrooms. Ladies and gentlemen, more people, as you know, are not sending their children to public schools. In particular, the Columbus public school system in Columbus, Ohio, in Franklin County, Ohio, less people are sending their children to these environments. So what on earth are they saying we have too many students in the classroom? That can't, be the, that can't be true. It can't be. So I have an audio clip that I want to play in just a minute, but I want to read through this because this just happened over the weekend. Apparently on Saturday, these two groups met. The Columbus Teachers Union, which is just, again, made up of every NPC, double-triple-jabbed, mask-wearing goon you could possibly imagine. And then, all wearing the same color t-shirts and wearing this together. I mean, these are non-thinking people. They cannot think. If you were to put them on an island by themselves, they uh, they would hang themselves within five minutes they're incapable of being alone with any kind of an inner monologue because they have none. They don't even ask themselves questions in their own mind. That's how that's how dumb these people are. So I'm going to play this audio in a minute, but what happened on Saturday was is these two groups met again, the school board and the teachers' union over all of the issues that I just mentioned. And then they basically said that they have to decide By Sunday, and they're going to make a vote on Sunday, this past Sunday, as to whether or not they're going to uh, go on strike or not. And so on Sunday, they voted and they voted to go on strike. Let the chaos ensue because, again, this is going to be a repeated habit that's going to occur nationwide in some of the largest districts in the United States. But it's not occurring because of all of the reasons that they are saying. The overarching reason is because parents are not sending their children to these environments, which means there's no more money. And unless every single school district turns into the Federal Reserve and starts printing their own money that they don't have, these school districts will crumble to the ground you've heard me say it, they'll start eliminating building after building. They'll usher all the students into separate, into different buildings, pushing them basically all into the same building. They'll start firing staff members as they are eliminating buildings, and then they'll put the staff members that are still around, typically by seniority, which isn't necessarily a good thing either. But they'll put them in these buildings that still exist, and then of course the classroom sizes will get bigger because they'll have to put all of these students from all of these buildings that were still attending someplace. And then what? Then they're back to the drawing board again, complaining about the same old shit that they always complain about. It's not gonna. It's. Not, it's. As I've said, as I've said publicly before, they're reinventing a broken wheel. And when you reinvent a broken wheel, what do you end up with? A broken wheel. I'll give you another metaphor. They're trying to blow air into an inner tube while they're, while they're swimming in a swimming pool, not knowing that there's a hole in the other end of the inner tube that they cannot see. They just keep blowing and blowing and they're like, we're going to get it eventually. And then they just keep puffing and puffing they're going, well, I don't know, something's going on, and they keep puffing and puffing, and then they go, well, we're going to go on strike. They have no idea that there's a gaping hole on the other side of the inner tube that is out of out of their sight, because again, these aren't thinking people. So let me get into these stories then more specifically. There's also, again, an 11-minute uh, clip that I want to play, audio clip, and you've got to hear it. Because the individual who is the head of the teachers' union is nuts. And again, she says all the cliche things that you heard me just say as to what the excuses are. But let me play this audio clip here first from Saturday. And then I'll play the one on Sunday after they voted to actually strike. So give this a listen first.
3: We begin with our Eric Helprin,
1: who's at the convention center, where the union will decide if they will go on strike.
4: Eric. Sierra, the union's meeting here at the convention center starts in less than a half an hour. Now, the union and districts have had more than 20 meetings without a contract agreement leading up to this point. Throughout the afternoon and evening, union members have been showing up here at the convention center and making their way into the meeting hall. The union represents about 4,500 teachers, nurses, librarians, and other school staff. Every member here tonight gets to vote. Union spokesperson Regina Fuentes says the school board has not moved on smaller class sizes, full-time art and PE teachers at the elementary schools, guarantees for working HVAC, and other items the union has been pushing for. The two sides had their last negotiating session on Thursday for 12 hours. School Board President Jennifer Adair says the board's latest final offer, which it gave at that meeting, is strong and addresses issues which have been brought up.
1: It's kind of a tense feeling right now. Um, Of course, people are nervous. People are disappointed and the district's stance of not wanting to negotiate anymore. Um, But we are standing firm with not wanting to take the status quo and not the take it or leave it type of offer.
3: They want to be back in school with their teachers, and uh, you know we're confident that that can happen. Um, that is our goal. That has been our goal from the beginning. Uh, we greatly respect our staff. They're they're who make this happen, and um, you know where the board is is listening, and we are committed to making sure that we are getting resolution.
4: Again, the unions meeting starts here tonight at 630. We will be here until a decision is made, and we'll update you as soon as we learn what that decision is. Local for you in Columbus, I'm Eric Alpern, NBC4.
0: I want to backtrack just very quickly before I get into that clip, and I just want to briefly mention something. I know that there's a lot of other education stories out there, you know, LGBT training for teachers and students, and uh, Texas is putting in God We Trust back in the public schools, which is going to cause the liberal hive mind to lose, you know, to blow their lids and whatever else. I know that there's a lot of those stories that are out there. And again, the diversity, equity, and inclusion nonsense. I I view stuff like that by and large as being low-hanging fruit. That's for the Chris Rufos to, the, to discuss. That's for the Karlin Borschenkos to discuss. That's for these goons to discuss. For those of us that have been in the business, this story right here, the business of teachers striking, in particular in this day and age, as you've heard me mention, this is where the real juice is. This is the real juice. This is the real crux of the matter right here. Because only a person who's been in the business can understand the weight of what this really means, in particular if you can see the collapse of American education coming, the way that I can see it, I can see the landscape, I can see what's coming this again this is just it, these are just the first steps in the entire collapse that of course has been going on for a very long time, but we're continuing to watch it, and I think it's amazing so if you're listening to this and you're saying, you know, Sean, you don't spend enough time on the LGBT indoctrination and all that. I don't have to. That's self-explanatory. We get it. It's degenerate. It's it's Bolshevik Marxist nonsense. It does. It, once it's been mentioned, it doesn't need to be mentioned anymore. We understand that now. We get it. That's like saying a sewer has shit in it. I know. I know that it does. Now let's talk about the real crux of the matter here. So Here's the deal. The first woman that you heard talk, well, I'll mention this too because this is just a horrific observation. On film, as they're showing these teachers walking around the convention center in Columbus, every single one of them, and I'm not exaggerating, is morbidly obese. I mean, morbidly obese. And I can tell you firsthand, having observed endless teachers when I taught school, Of all different shapes and sizes, that the ones that were the most energetic were the ones that took care of themselves. The ones that tended to be the most knowledgeable were the ones that took care of themselves physically, mentally, emotionally, and socially. The ones that are not all of those things tended to be the worst educators. They were incapable of thinking, they didn't have common sense, they would fall asleep on the job. They were more angry, agitated, you name it. Those were all of the people participating in 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 what I was seeing here in, you know, in that short clip. So I just wanted to mention that. It's a it's an accurate stereotype that does exist. It's unfortunate, but it's an but it's an accurate stereotype. Uh okay. The first woman you heard is Regina Fuentes. She's the spokesperson for the Ohio Education Association, if I'm not mistaken. The second woman you heard is the president of the Columbus City School Board. What you'll, of course, hear them say are very similar things. We want, we just want what's best. And then the other side says, we just want what's best. And the other side says, well, we just want what's best for the students and the kids, and we're all in it for the kids. And then you go to the other side, and they're going, we just care about the kids, and that's, it's just for the kids. But they disagree. False equivalency, you've heard me say that again. So they're both pathological liars, is what they're really telling you. They're telling you that they actually disagree on many things, and in the end, it all boils down to money. Because if they don't have the money, they can't get anything done. Not to mention, they think money is going to solve their problem. Money will not solve their problem. This problem is way too big. It's way too big. Money will never solve the problem of poor education, it never does. It's, I would love for somebody to get into a time machine and explain that to a Western, plains teaching, geographically speaking, one room schoolhouse female who was teaching in that environment with multiple ages of children. And you were to look at her and say, Do you think money is the problem? She'd hit you with a broomstick and you wouldn't be allowed back because they didn't give a damn about any of that they just taught material they were strict they taught manners and that's the way that it was not so now not so it's just path one pathological liar after another trying to cover their own backside the best that they can and they're not getting away with it because those of us that can see the larger landscape know exactly what's happening here. So here's the second audio clip. And again, this one is longer. This is approximately 11 minutes long. And this was taken right after the vote to strike. So the person you're going to hear is Regina Fuentes, who again is the spokesperson for the Ohio Teachers Union. Please keep in mind that when I taught school, I was never associated with these unions, either at the state level or local level. I just wasn't. Um, these are, you know, this is this is the the mold at the bottom of a septic tank. Th- these people are the worst. They are not in it for the real reasons, uh, and the gaslighting is incredible as well. But I'm going to bounce in and out of this particular audio clip because some of this, again. Deserves a little bit of analysis, but not too much because, again, she just, she just sounds foolish, as most of them do. But anyway, give this a listen, and like I said, I'll bounce in and out a little bit. Here we go.
5: Good morning. Thank you for waking up with NBC Four today. on am Matt Barnes,
6: and I'm Monica Day. And after weeks of unsuccessful negotiations, Columbus teachers are officially on strike. The Columbus Education Association voted last night to strike after they and the Columbus Board of Education failed to agree on a new contract. And we're talking just days before the start of the school year.
5: We have team coverage for you as hundreds of Columbus educators are set to take to the picket lines. Matthew Hertz and Cynthia live are live for us. Or Cynthia Hill are live for us this morning. We start with Matthew outside of downtown downtown high school bandage.
7: Yeah, good morning, Matt and Monica. Well, the strike officially went into effect at midnight. So those educators will be on the picket lines, like you mentioned, beginning at 7 o'clock this morning. The union saying that this was a difficult decision, but one that they made for the students. Now, chants of CEA were ringing out from union members last night, just minutes after the vote, as the Columbus Education Association made its way from the convention center meeting room out into the halls. According to the union, 94% of the members voted to reject the district's latest offer and 94% voted to strike. Union spokesperson Regina Fuentes says this is about smaller class sizes, full-time art and PE teachers in elementary schools and functioning HVAC systems in all schools. Uh, the vote came after the union had a chance to review the district's final offer, which the school board president called strong, saying it addresses the concerns that have been raised but for the union, it wasn't enough.
1: We are not willing to just settle for the status quo. If we were to just take this offer and go in, that allows the district to just continue business as usual. We're not willing to accept that. We want these changes.
0: And what you heard right there again was Regina Fuentes, which is the gal I was telling you about. When she says we're not willing to accept the status quo, This is how brainwashed these people are. She is the status quo. She's the status quo. Her position is the status quo. She represents the status quo. Because again, she's all about lower class sizes and we want more money. But like I said, they don't say that. They don't ever bring money into the discussion because they don't want the people to know that that's their real concern and then a thousand other things. So the hypocrisy is nuts because again, they can't even see that they themselves are the problem and the position that they inhabit is the real problem. And without the entire elimination of all of it and all of these unions, public education in America is doomed. And I'm 100% fine with it. So I'll continue with the audio clip. Here we go.
7: And we did receive a statement from Columbus City Schools. School Board President Jennifer Adair writes in part, tonight's vote by the Columbus Education Association is incredibly disappointing. We are saddened by the unfortunate situation our families, our community, and most importantly, our children now face. Our offer to CEA put children first and prioritized their education and their growth. We offered a generous compensation package for teachers and provisions that would have had a positive impact on classrooms. Now the first day of school, like you guys mentioned, is Wednesday. Uh, however, right now the union says there is no set length on how long the strike could last. However, the district says even if the two sides were to reach an agreement before Wednesday, they say at this point students will still start the year on remote learning. Local for you in Columbus, Matthew Hertchik NBC4.
6: Matthew, thank you. Mayor Ginther released a statement following the vote to strike and it reads in part, the CEA and the school district must return to the table and get our kids back in the classroom. A responsible solution is within reach but only if negotiations restart now. Even
5: if the board and union come to an agreement by Wednesday, school will begin online. Students will be taught virtually by substitutes, administrators and teachers who choose not to strike until further notice. Extracurricular activities, including sports, will be canceled or rescheduled meals for students will still be available with a grab and go service you can find that full alternative learning plan from the district right now on nbc4i.com
0: that was key also that was that was a key audio clip too and i think it's hilarious teachers who choose to not strike can still teach in online environments so they're still getting paid And they're still teaching, albeit in an online environment. Do you see now why the online environment was really built back in 2020? It was built to be used as an alternative for when things like this happen. For when the shit hits the fan, they can say, well, we're just going to go back online then. Because we still have to offer education, but we're just going to go back online if there are teachers again not affiliating themselves with the union and not walking a- around wearing the same t-shirts holding the same stu- stupid picket signs wearing the masks like all of these morbidly obese goons seem to be doing if if those if those educators are still teaching in an online environment how many children are actually showing up in those online environments to actually receive any kind of instruction. Not to mention, look at it from a parent perspective. And there are numerous parental perspectives on this, there have to be. You've got the lazy, the lazy parents who are saying, well you're just going to do it online because I, w- I don't want you to fall behind and whatever else. But then you've got even lazier parents that are going to say, you don't have to do the online stuff because you're supposed to be in the classroom. And that's where I want you to be. And government's the parent, not me. And I don't give a damn about you because I can't teach you anything because I got to go to work and blah, 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 blah. And then they do this, that, and the other. And then their kid just runs amok all day long doing whatever they want. Instead of the logical parent in this situation, when they're seemingly Against a wall or between a rock and the hard, in a hard place, so they think what they would actually be doing if they wanted to make any kind of sense whatsoever is just homeschool them. Because you're now in an online environment at a public school for free when you could be paying a little bit of money to be in. An online school that's accredited that will never strike, like Abeka.com or CalvertEducation.com. These places exist, but these parents don't know this. This is how deep in the matrix they are. They don't know that this exists. So they just continue to be jacked around on a leash by government and government's stooges, i.e. these teachers and board members and union members, you know, et cetera, et cetera, uh, allowing their children themselves and their families to be abused all at the same time while becoming less competent as every single day passes. And they think that that's okay. Again, Lots of people have said it, myself included. It's not just a multidimensional Stockholm syndrome. It is the cycle of abuse. They're used to this. They're used to the abuse. They're used to living in the Columbus area. They're used to sending their children to the government machine. They're used to the government machine uh, wanting things and demanding things. And if they don't get it, well, then they have to strike. And if they you know, it's just, it's exhausting. It's so exhausting, but there's more to this audio clip and I want to keep playing it. I just find it funny that they're openly admitting that there are still teachers who are basically saying, you know what? Unions suck. I want to be a school teacher and I want to teach. And I still get to do that in an online environment. What's hilarious is that now these very teachers don't have to go to a school to teach. They can just do it online. They can just teach this material online to whomever shows up in their online classroom, and it may be zero, but they'll still get paid a full salary. I mean, you talk about abusing the system. Everybody in these systems is abusing the system on all sides. The employees and the people that run the entire system are abusing them also. And they think this is going to last? (laughs) It isn't going to last it's designed to fail. It's designed to fail. And it's failing. And I love it. I feel terrible for the people that are stuck in the matrix, in particular these children who don't know that there's easy alternatives. But damn it. They just don't get it. So I'm going to continue with this audio. Here we go.
5: The CEA's decision to strike will likely change the way the first day of classes will look for parents and students.
6: CBC 4s Cynthia Hill is joining us now with what some parents are saying about that decision. Cynthia. Well, the buses behind me won't be taking kids to classes come Wednesday. Parents say they're frustrated by it. Some say they're being forced to make some difficult decisions in the next couple of days. CCS says that Wednesday school will open virtually with remote learning and substitute teachers. Right now, some parents across the district say they won't be sending their kids to school virtual or not. Kristen McCormick says she's expecting her first grader to be absent and isn't sure about the days following. Megan Bashimi says she believes the board took
3: things too far. When the board and the district come down with language like this is our last, best and final offer, that's corporate America talking. That is not the way I expect educators who want to put other educators and children first to speak. That's hardball.
6: He can't sit in front of a computer all day. That's not going to be a conducive learning environment for him. Um, And then also there's the concern of just not having his usual teacher that he expects. Now, both parents say that they support the teachers in their strike but hope that a resolution is met swiftly despite the strike school will begin for students virtually, uh, virtually come Wednesday. Right now, looking for you, Cynthia Hill, NBC4. Cynthia, thank you. The union's decision to strike is historic. Now, Columbus hasn't seen a teacher strike since 1975, according to archives from the New York Times. That's the first time that the district ever had a strike. There were 5,000 teachers on January 5th of that year that voted to reject the district's contract offer and join the picket lines at 6 a.m. on January 6th. Now, the CEA resolved contract disputes with the district five days later. For a look at the timeline of this year's contract negotiations and what is next for your student, head on over to NBC4i.com.
0: I do I do want to play some audio from Regina Fuentes as soon as the vote was done, because it's fun, it's just funny. What she says is just funny. And I really do want to play it, and I'm going to just a little bit. I mean, it's an 11-minute clip, but I'll play just a little bit of it. What was funny about those two parents, and one of them had pink hair, is that, and again, I apologize for the name-calling, but both of them are just dummies. They're just dummies. It's just not conducive for my kid to sit in front of a computer all day long. I have news for you, toots. That's not the way that it works. That isn't the way that it works. Even in a homeschooling environment online, you're not in front of the computer all day long. It doesn't work that way, but they don't know that. This is how small-minded they are and, and their inability to think outside of the box. They they have no idea that abecca.com exists. They have no idea that these other online homeschooling programs exist. Not a flippin' clue. As for the pink-haired gal, I mean, she's no wordsmith. But when I hear language like that, I mean, it just really, you know, it's just not, it's just not the direction where I think my kid needs to go. I... I I, I uh you can't help them. You just can't you you can't help them. But what was said at the beginning of that audio clip which is exactly what I said earlier which was great is that there are parents that just aren't sending them anywhere. There are actually parents that are just going, "Well, Timmy, Sally, you get to just stay home and play video games all day long." And once the building opens back up with all those goons, we'll send you right back. And that's when you'll go back. But until then, you just stay here in the house while mom, dad, one of us, somebody, nobody, who, who, who cares, just goes off to work or does whatever we do during the day. And you can just stay here and mess around all day long and do whatever you want. There are parents out there that are doing that too because the American K-12 public school system is daycare for them. It's daycare. Now let me get into this clip here from Regina Fuentes again, and this occurred right after the vote. So give this a listen, and I'll bounce in and out just a little bit.
6: More on what to expect from the teacher strike with Columbus City Schools and the next steps for Columbus teachers, we are joined now by the Columbus Education Association spokesperson, Regina Fuentes. Yeah,
5: she's joining us by phone, and Regina, let's just start playing and say, well, how did we get to this point?
6: Uh, good
5: morning,
1: and thank you for this opportunity to speak. Um, With the public, Um, we got to this point because the district decided to cut off negotiations before they were ready to be done with. Um, We had made progress on the proposals that were made, um, but the job is still not done. And we want more for our students in Columbus. Yeah. Regina,
6: talk to us about the sticking points. I think a lot of people hear about a teacher strike and they think it comes down to money going to the teachers, but that's not the case here. Correct.
1: That is not the case here. The case here is our students show up every day with the hope that they are going to get the best education they possibly can. We need to return that hope to our students and understand that, okay, if you're giving us the opportunity to teach you and to educate you and help you to grow and learn, then we need to give back and let you know that we're going to take care of you. And we need to take care of them by providing them with... Schools that are fixed, schools that are safe, um, and schools that are, you know, ready, fully resourced with the things that are,
5: you know, going to help them uh, move forward. Obviously, a lot of parents right now are making that tough decision what to do with their students as they get ready for this first day of school on Wednesday. We've had some parents say they won't have their students take part in the online learning. Others are obviously afraid of what that means for absences, as Columbus City Schools uh, says they'll still count those. What is your advice for the parents as they try to navigate
1: this first week of school here. Well, first off, I want to thank our parents who have been extremely supportive through all of this. Um, they have really just stepped up and shown us that, you know, they understand what we're doing. Um, and I truly do believe that our students and our parents understand what they're doing. They don't like being lied to. They don't like being placated to by the district being told that, you know, the education that, they, they are proposing um, that they're going to provide during this remote session is going to be equal to what we have to offer. Um, our parents, we need to give them so much more credit than that. They know, um, they know what value that we have, and they know that we're looking out for their best interests.
6: Now, Regina, we know that 94% of your members voted to strike. We also know that Columbus City Schools' plan to start the year mentions teachers that may not strike. Do you have any indication on a percentage of teachers that may actually end up teaching to start off the year?
1: I have no idea of that number. Um, Based off of last night, I feel very comfortable and confident that our members will show up to the picket lines in solidarity and that they will support our efforts to give students the
5: schools that they deserve. And Regina Fuentes, spokesperson for the Columbus Education Association, joining us here on NBC4 today this morning with more information on uh, the big vote last night and obviously the road ahead. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Notice how it's all just vague nonsense. All of it's just vague nonsense. None of it means anything. We, we want the best for our students. We want the best. We want the best. We want the best teaching environments. What they want is what the district can't afford because people aren't going to school anymore. They're not going to public schools anymore. They want new school buildings, and they're not going to get it. They won't get it. And if they put them on levies. What family that's having a hard time making ends meet now is going to want higher property taxes for a school building for their kid? They'll be paying more for property taxes than they would be paying if they decided to homeschool them through an online homeschooling program. But as I've said, these brainwashed parents believe that that's not education. They don't think that a person can learn on their own if they can read and write on their own. They think that they have to have someone in front of them telling them things, and that that is education. Incorrect. Education is thinking, getting lost in your own mind, and a thousand other things. They also claimed that they want more money for, and yes, it is about money, They want more money for uh, not just new schools, but they want more money for physical education, art, uh, what is it, band, music programs, theater programs, you name it. They want all this money for all this extra stuff, which frankly are things that don't even need to exist in in a school like that. If you want to draw, draw on your own time. You want to play an instrument, go buy one. At a pawn shop and get on YouTube and learn how to play it. That's what a lot of people do. If you don't know how to do a push up, well, I can't help you because that's just sad. But this is, again, this is the problem. These people are, these parents and these children and these teachers are letting this entire corrupt system dictate every move that they make within their own lives. Look what, look what that's done for the shot taking. Look what it's done for the entire business of vaccination. How's that worked out for everybody? How do they actually think it's going to work out for them here? They're stuck in the matrix. They're, they're just way too stuck. It's incredible. It's sad. Uh, it's very sad, but it's incredible. Okay. Here's the last one. This was tossed to me by Jesse James from the Dangerous Info podcast. This comes from abc12.com. And he said that this came from a school district that's just north of him. And it's titled, Grand Blanc Schools Increase Security for New School Year. Here's an audio clip associated with that. Again, you've heard me mention this before. They They think this is a problem. They think Uvalde was real, and then here comes the reaction and their alleged solution. So give this a listen.
4: But we're going to begin with school
1: security plans. It is safety first for Grand Blank students this school year with an improved plan for the district. In addition to their typical school resource officers, an outside company will also place their own guards at different schools as an added precaution.
2: ABC Tolls Rachel Eiler joins us live from Grand Blank to explain the district's plan. Rachel.
3: Yeah, and typically, typically in previous years, we've seen only one or two school resource officers in the district bounce from school to school. That includes the high school, the middle school and the elementary schools that they have. But this year, that's all going to change.
1: Especially after the Texas shooting last year has caused me anxiety.
3: Grand Blank mom, Jamie Chapman, feels more ready this year, sending her three kids back to school because of one simple fix, increased security. The Grand Blank School District will have five armed security guards from Premier Security, in addition to four school resource officers this year, allowing parents to feel a little more at ease.
1: I didn't hear anybody have to fight for this or, you know, cause a big stir about it. They just went about it and did it without parents having to do
3: that, which was really important. Two school resource officers from the city of Grand Blank will man the high school, while two from Grand Blank Township will be placed at each middle school. The additional security guards will be placed throughout the elementary schools.
5: There's uh, students in the building. Our people are there the whole time. The school resource officer might not have that luxury he might have to be at the police department he may have to be at court
3: director of training at premier jody grant says since the tragedy at oxford high school and more recently the shooting at an elementary school in uvalde texas more districts are requesting help from these retired law enforcement officers
5: since november 30th um, our school clients have almost doubled um, we work with schools in Oakland County, Livingston County, Genesee County,
2: Clair County.
3: The additional help will allow Grambling police officers to do their job better, where they can focus on specific schools and their students.
2: Having armed security uh, that we know is, is a good company and trustworthy, that will definitely ease a little bit of that pressure um, on our school resource officers.
3: And superintendent of the district, Trevor Allward, wasn't available for a sit-down interview with me. But on the phone, he did say that he's looking forward to the school year. And these extra measures are just precautions to make sure that every single student coming in and out of the building are safe. Reporting in Grand Blank, I'm Rachel Eiler, ABC 12
0: News. More reactionary measures based on lies. Again, the Oxford High School thing was real where there were no resource officers, which was unprecedented. And then, of course, internal employees not doing their jobs, which is pretty much par for the course. Um, Multiple resource officers at the doors, come on. You know, it's just, it's more of a prison state. It's just making everything look more and more like a prison state whatever, Sean, they're keeping the place safe. And, you know, we need more resource officers in these schools because that looks normal and that's going to create a more learning, you know, easier learning environment, whatever. No, stop it. It won't. It won't. It just makes it look more like a prison than it already is. That's all. That's all. These are, these are new buildings, by the way. I mean, these are buildings with locked doors. What are you so worried about? If the doors are locked, the odds of someone coming into your building through a locked door is slim and none. The odds of someone walking in a locked door from the outside into your building with a loaded weapon is slimmer. It's slim and none and slim left town. It isn't gonna happen. That's why Uvalde was fake. The Oxford thing was real. Now, if they had a metal detector in, in, in Oxford, well, yeah, that, that would have helped. If they had a counselor with a brain in his skull that would have checked his book bag when they were questioning him in the office based on him writing things about shooting people, you know, that four people would be alive and no one would be wounded and no one would be injured. This has to do with what goes on between the ears of people. Not what goes on out in society and then how we as a society are supposed to react. You're just being yanked around all day long with all of these moves and all of these methods. Because I have yet to hear a homeschooling family say, you know what we need? A resource officer. The homeschooling family's resource officer is their trigger finger. They're protecting their own family. And they're healthier for it. They're not leaving it up to government and, and the government goons that believe lies on their TVs to dictate decisions that they can make for themselves. That's self-governance. And I honestly think that's where we have to get back to. That's the, you know, that's the, the shining thing on the hill, so to speak. Self-governance. That's it. I'm going to end the episode with that, but I'll end it with one positive thing too. And it's a bit of a back to the medicine stuff and a bit of a therapeutic thing. I did this for the first time a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago, I think, to be precise. And uh, it was incredible. It felt amazing. And I mentioned this earlier, a long time ago, actually from Dr. Carrie Maday, And she mentioned that she does this on a regular basis. And so I gave it a whirl. And sure enough, it's awesome. It feels great. It's a it, what she refers to as a detox bath. You fill up a bathtub full of water as, as hot as you can take it. You You dump in one cup of baking soda. You dump in one cup of Epsom salts and one cup of liquid Clorox brand Clorox bleach all together and then just mix it around in the tub, fill the tub up to the top and then get in and just get in for 30 minutes and just soak in it. I got to tell you, you feel like a million bucks. You feel incredibly clean as you would expect. Um, And then once you're in there for at least 30 minutes, you drain it and then just take a quick shower to rinse yourself off. And uh, you will feel the cleanest you've probably ever felt. You'll feel remarkably relaxed and you will sleep like a newborn baby. It's incredible. So I've done that once. I'm certain I'll do it again in the future and I highly recommend it. With all of that said, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for sticking around. Remember, the censorship is huge. You can always catch this show on Podbean. I recommend checking there first, and then bouncing over to the other avenues if uh, if you're so interested. But again, it's always on Podbean first, and then Bitshoot and Rumble, and then hopefully the other platforms stop censoring me. Other than that. Have a great week. Stick around for Friday because I'll be talking with Dr. Robin McCutcheon and we'll talk to you then. Take care. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.